Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Dr. Alan Goldhammer is a pioneering visionary in health, bringing medically supervised water-only fasting to the forefront and changing the dialogue on diet. He is the founder of True North Health Center, a state-of-the-art health facility in Santa Rosa, California, and the author of The Health Promoting Cookbook and co-author of The Pleasure Trap. He is the most articulate, inspiring, and energetic healthcare practitioner you have ever come across. Get ready, sit down, and concentrate. You are about to listen to an interview that is quite informationally dense. You'll probably want to listen to it more than once. Dr. Alan Goldhammer, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. You are the single most eloquent articulator slash communicator on how and why we eat, what we eat, and what we need to do to improve all of the negative sequelae implicated with our food environment. So I would like to start a little bit back further and ask you where your journey began. Like what sparked this fiery passion that you so obviously have in you? You know, ironically enough, my original exposure was about uh, as a young kid, I wanted to be a better basketball player. I wanted to beat actually my best friend, Doug Lyle, at basketball and couldn't do it. He was a lot better. And in desperation, I started reading, looking for an edge. And I came across a gentleman named Herbert Shelton. And Herbert Shelton was an exponent of natural hygiene, uh, the science of health. And he said that health was the result of healthful living and that it involved diet, sleep, exercise. And he also advocated fasting. So in reading about that I became very interested and it made sense. I diligently applied those dietary principles. And of course, unfortunately it failed uh, to allow me to beat Dr. Lyle in basketball because it turns out he adopted the same dietary principles. And here we are, I'm 62 years old now, we're still playing competitive basketball and he still beats me badly every time we uh, get into conflict. So even though I failed miserably at uh, my goal of beating him, uh, it did get me interested and inspired. I was also uh, inspired by my uncle, who was a medical doctor. And he said that uh, this type of alternative medicine, nutritional medicine, uh, was awful. He just thought that was the worst thing in the world. And when I announced at age 16 that I had decided on a career path uh, to pursue this field, he said that uh, I would not do that, that nobody in our family would uh, go to a doctor like that, let alone become a doctor like that, and that better I should be a communist spy. <laughs> and uh, so he was very irate and upset. My father, who was a really serious gentleman, took me aside and he said, son, I don't know much about this alternative medicine, but anything that makes him that angry and mad, well, it can't be bad. So you stick your guns. And he was very encouraging and uh, uh, ironically enough, two, uh, you know, I had a chance to go to Australia and study osteopathic medicine with Alec Burton, who happened to be a, a major proponent of uh, medically supervised water-only fasting. So I had a chance to see hundreds of people undergoing fasting, and it just completely blew my mind because these people with these conditions that I had been trained would not recover, were recovering routinely. And I remember uh, calling my uncle and explaining that uh, Patients with high blood pressure were routinely getting well. And he said, no, they weren't. I said, uncle, I'm taking their blood pressure. And he said, well, then you don't know how to take blood pressure because I've been in practice 50 years and they never get well. Isn't and that so amazing? when we came back to the United States, my wife, Dr. Jennifer Morano, and I decided we would do a study 
uh, and we decided to pick high blood pressure since it would be, you know, particularly annoying to my uncle. And so we did a study, and uh, it took a long time. We, in fact, ultimately, uh, we worked with T. Colin Campbell from Cornell University as one of the co-authors, and we managed to get this paper uh, accepted for uh, publication in a peer-reviewed journal. Two months before the paper appears, uh, my uncle dies of a massive heart attack. And oh. my, uh, my mother swears uh, that he died uh, strictly so he wouldn't have to admit he was wrong, but uh, oh, wow. I think it was because he liked K foods, you know, Kugel, Kreplach, Knishes, Blintzes, that type of thing. So we'll never know for sure, but ultimately we did get our first paper published. Uh, and since then we've been able to be successful at publishing a number of papers in the peer reviewed journals and case reports. And so we're very excited because our 501c3 nonprofit True North Health Foundation has got a research team together. We've associated with a federally chartered IRB, we've got a laboratory, and we've got, you know, the opportunity to really investigate how this whole business of diet and fasting work and how to make it work better. Yeah, I'm so excited about all your ongoing research. And it's so interesting because that's how medical school is. And that's the medical environment and our health community is like that, you know, not just denial and not even acknowledging the potential for dietary intervention. And yet what I always say, like, what I've seen in my 15, 17 years now is that results are typical. People do get better when you change their diet. People do get off their medications. And it's it's like still so hard to get that message through the community. Uh, and Well, especially when it comes to something like high blood pressure, because most patients, physicians will explain to them that they need to take one, two, three, four, maybe five medications and that they will never get well. The doctor will promise them if you do what you're told, you'll be on drugs the rest of your life. You're never going to recover, and the drugs have side effects, including chronic cough, fatigue, impotence, and even premature death. But that's just how it is because they don't know what causes high blood pressure. Therefore, there's nothing they can do to fix it. And so, you know, when people are given that message, they don't know that it's as simple as controlling what they put in their mouth. Right. And so, you know, they have no reason to, to believe that that would be true. Right. And that's one of the reasons we're trying to publish papers in peer-reviewed journals so that, you know, uh, thinking people can actually see there's other options besides just accepting defeat. Exactly. Exactly. If they just know, I know that physicians don't have time to talk to all of their patients, but if they just had the option and knew it was possible, then let them decide. And that would be a whole other avenue for people to succeed. But you, you know, fasting is nothing new. It's been practiced through recorded history. And I was reading those Mark Twain books and all of those, the Herbert Shelton, all that stuff for so long. And all religions incorporate some sort of fasting. But it's definitely come to the forefront now. And you are way ahead of your game. You and your wife founded uh, True North Health in 1984. It's a medically supervised water-only fasting center in Santa Rosa, California. What was it like to open your doors um, in an environment that was not as friendly as it is now? Well, you know, back then, um, my licensure in the United States was that of a chiropractor. Um, chiropractors were not allowed to accept referrals from nor receive or make referrals to physicians because it was considered unethical behavior. Physicians could lose their licenses, uh, practice medicine, just by referring a patient to somebody like me. Um, the... Uh, it wasn't until 1986 in the Wilk decision that, you know, that type of illegal conspiratory behavior became apparent. And uh, there was a federal uh, judge that, you know, ruled that the AMA was guilty of conspiratorial behavior. And they had to publish a full page uh, article uh, in JAMA. They had to pay a fine. Uh, 
And since then, you know, uh, the focus has shifted and changed a little bit. Alternative medicine has gained a little bit better acceptance. Fasting was, of course, considered outrageous behavior until relatively recently. Even 15 years ago, the California Board of Medical Quality Assurance that regulates medical practice in California said that recommending fasting was such a gross violation of the standard of medical practice that it rose to the level of criminal negligence. In fact, I was the first person in my family ever to require the services of a criminal defense attorney. Uh, and uh, my father was so proud. <laughs> yeah. So, but it did turn out that uh, you know fasting isn't uh, criminal behavior, and uh, so ultimately we were able to survive those challenges. And now we've gone from being criminal quacks to cutting edge researchers because you know fasting has gained some notoriety in large part to people like Walter Longo from USD has published papers, including in the Journal of Metabolism 2015, where he talks about intermittent fasting, and you know the, the positive biological changes that are associated with that. And now there's more and more interest in not just the work we're doing, but other people like the Buchenauer Clinic in Germany publishing papers on, on fasting and modified fasting and, and the effect that it can have on clinical outcomes. Right. And for those that don't know, can you kind of summarize some of the extraordinary effects you've seen from water-only fasting? Well, we've published a paper, uh, medically supervised water-only fasting in the treatment of hypertension and also in the treatment of borderline hypertension that demonstrate the largest effects that have ever been shown in treating high blood pressure in humans with an average effect size of over 60 points in stage three hypertension where systolic blood pressure start at 180 or above. Um, we've also published uh, a fasting safety study which shows that fasting can be done safely and effectively and lays out a clear uh, protocol. Um, uh, we've used the common, common uh, terminology criteria for adverse events uh, in publishing the safety study, looking at what adverse events can occur and and uh, what the overall safety effect is. We've published a number of case, case reports, including in the British Medical Journal, on the successful treatment of follicular lymphoma uh, and follow-ups, uh, showing that uh, this type of lymph cancer can be reversed with fasting and maintained with a whole plant food SOS-free diet. Um, we're also in the process of publishing a paper right now that we've done with our colleagues at the Mayo Clinic on the successful treatment of high blood pressure. This is a phase one clinical trial, and next year we'll be doing a phase three clinical trial. Um, the fact is that water-only fasting is effective at treating conditions associated with dietary excess, so conditions like cardiovascular disease, including high blood pressure, type two diabetes, autoimmune disorders, and even uh, some uh, conditions like uh, lymphoma. So you get this big reboot when you're doing this water-only supervised fast, but then you have to change your diet. And I would love for you to talk, people talk about, oh, I fast every day, but it's like, you know, that means they skip breakfast or something like that. Can you talk about what goes on after the reboot of the water only, like the longer term fasting? Yeah, well, you know, there's intermittent fasting, as you mentioned, where you narrow your feeding window to 12 to 16 hours. Um, and so, you know, people are uh, eight to 12 hours. So people have a 12 to 16 hour period of fasting every day. And cumulatively, that may very well be of some benefit. What we do is this longer term medically supervised water only fasting in a contained setting, in a controlled setting. And these fasts go from five to 40 days on water only. That does need to be done after proper history exam lab and appropriate monitoring. Once the fast is terminated, it's exceptionally important that refeeding be done appropriately. Too rapid return to feeding after fasting can result in very serious or even fatal consequences, including refeeding syndrome. It does not happen when refeeding is done according to protocol. And that means we uh, transition people 
true juices and fresh raw fruits and vegetables into an exclusively whole plant food SOS-free diet. SOS is the international symbol of danger, but it also stands for salt, oil, and sugar. Salt, oil, and sugar are not foods from our perspective. They're chemicals added to food uh, that stimulate dopamine production in the, in the brain and as a result lead to what we call the dietary pleasure trap. So this artificial stimulation of dopamine leads to systematic overeating. People become obese and develop the diseases of dietary excess, not with the least of which are the conditions I've just mentioned, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, lymphoma. These conditions are all associated with dietary excess that results from the dietary pleasure trap that results from the chemicals we add to our feed, including salt, oil, and sugar. So we feed people a diet exclusively whole plant food. So that means fruits, vegetables, um, non-glutinous, minimally processed grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. And we avoid the meat, fish, fowl, eggs, dairy products, oh, salt, sugar, all the highly heated, beaded, treated, chopped, processed garbage that most people make the majority of their calories. And that's why our patients not only can get well, but they can stay well. Ah, uh, you just kind of summed up so many of my questions. You're so efficient. <laughs> For the people that don't really know or haven't heard about this stuff, about hyperpalatable and all of the stuff that you you talk about in the pleasure trap, which is you co-authored with your 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 basketball competing friend, <laughs> Dr. Doug Lyle. And it is one of my all-time favorite books, and I consider it essential reading for anyone who eats. Can you explain more about the pleasure trap and what that means in terms of our diet? Yeah, the pleasure trap is the hidden force that undermines health and happiness. It's the reason people are fat, sick, and miserable. And what it involves is basically the artificial stimulation of dopamine uh, in the brain that's associated with pleasure uh, through the addition of chemicals to our feed. So, for example, if you take rats and you just give them ad libitum eating of normal rat chow, they get to a certain size. But if you put these chemicals in the rat chow, they get they gain 49% of their weight in 60 days. And that those chemicals include salt, oil, and sugar. So oil is a problem because it's a highly fractionated, high-fat food with nine calories per gram. Doesn't provide appropriate satiety feedback in proportion to its calories. So you know it's like Dr. McDougall says: the fat you eat, the fat you wear. Fat, and, and a lot of people recognize, you know, getting oil out of the diet, it may be beneficial for weight loss and health enhancement. Sugar, I think, is pretty widely accepted. Refined carbohydrates, empty calories, uh, cause your insulin levels to go up and then crash your sugar levels, fooling your brain into thinking you're starving even when you're overfed, uh, suppressing the immune response, altering the five pounds of bacteria that live in your gut, all kinds of problems with sugar. Uh, a lot of people agree on that. The area we get the most criticism currently is uh, advocating eliminating excess salt from the diet as well. In other words, just like you get all the fat you need from your whole natural food diets, you get all the essential fatty acids you need, you get all the carbohydrates you need from your whole food diet, you also get all the sodium you need from a high volume, uh, low caloric density plant-based diet. Uh, and so adding salt to the diet also makes people fat, sick, and miserable. And, and you might wonder, how can that be? We understand oil, nine calories per gram, and sugar at four calories per gram, but salt has no calories. How could salt make people fat? Well, the way that uh, salt increases obesity is by stimulating passive overeating. And you can do a simple test if you just, uh, and they've done this in animals, you can do it in humans, uh, let people eat to satiety from a particular, say brown rice, just eat a certain amount till you feel full. Everything else being equal, salt that rice up, people will eat more before they feel satiated. And of course people say, yeah, they eat more because it tastes better. Why do you think they eat more? Well, they eat more because it tastes better because the salt stimulates dopamine production in the brain, fooling the brain's satiety mechanism. And so, yes, you, it does, quote, taste better. That's what tasting better means, is more dopamine production. 
but it's a drug-like effect from these chemicals, not a natural feedback. And the result is ultimately obesity, metabolic syndrome, and the diseases that you see killing people around you, not just the heart disease, the cancer, the diabetes, but also infectious diseases like COVID-19. We know that obesity and metabolic syndrome is one of the risk factors that make people more vulnerable from dying, not just from COVID, but all infectious disease. And so, you know, these, and of course, salt also can affect the microbiome. You have, you know, five pounds of bacteria living in your gut. And salt is a natural preservative. Think about why do we salt meat and things to try to keep bacteria counts down from, you know, spoiling the meat? Well, when you put a large quantity of sodium in the microbiome into the gut, it also affects the microbiome. The thousand strains of creatures living in your intestinal tract, living, drinking, eating, and pooing inside you right now. And so what you feed the microbiome determine which of the thousand strains live and survive and thrive and what they poo in you. If you feed them meat and animal products, you get a lot of TMA, which becomes TMAO. Uh, which is trimethylamine oxidase, which is an irritating substance that leads to increased risk for colon cancer and heart disease and other things. And you feed them soluble fiber and you get, you know, fertilizer like vitamin K. So, you know, you want to feed the microbiome the diet that, that promotes the right microbiome diversity and that favors the right microbiome waste products so that you get fertilizer instead of toxic waste. So it's salt, oil, and sugar, from my viewpoint, that are the key detriments in addition to animal food that compromise people's health and happiness. And people that are out there that are eating that stuff in that way, they are afraid to give up things they love. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the transformation of the palate and the decreasing impact of having those dopamine hits and how someone can kind of go from eating that standard diet that most people are eating and transition to eating this way? Well, people are addicts, you know, and it's like if you have people that are smoking nicotine, Cigarettes, they have trouble quitting because, you know, their brain rebels when they go through withdrawal. I mean, that's the hallmark of addiction. You have to take the substance not just to feel good, the high that you get, but you, now you have to keep taking it to avoid feeling very bad. It happens with alcohol. It also happens with these chemicals we add to our feed, the salt, oil, and the sugar. And so what happens when people stop doing it initially, they feel very bad. They go through, you know, withdrawal, and it's difficult. And, you know, with some things like salt, it takes almost a month on a low-salt diet for people to adapt to a low-sodium diet where the food tastes good instead of like tasteless swell. Uh, if you fast, obviously that process happens more quickly. And we've done a study where we actually did a taste adaptation study where we measured the minimum threshold detection of salt and sugar and the hedonic response to salty, sugary, salty, fatty foods. And we found that after fasting, good foods tasted good. And so it made it much easier to get people to eat a whole plant food SOS-free diet because now those foods tasted good instead of disgusting and awful. And so, you know, it, you can do it slowly with careful feeding over a long period of time, but it's hard to get people to do something for a month when the food to them tastes disgusting. Um, whereas after fasting, if food tastes good, then you're more inclined to be able to uh, get cooperation for, for compliance. And what about, do you have any tips for someone that's not fasting, but they're circumnavigating the pleasure trap in our very obesogenic culture? There's just social pressure everywhere. So if you're not, if you're, you have to kind of commit to that time, but what, what are some of your suggestions? Well, just realize you're an addict and you're going to do what's probably the most difficult thing any human being is asked to do in modern society. And that's adopt a health promoting diet in a world designed to make you fat, sick, and miserable. And everywhere you go, people are going to try to undermine your success. Uh, some of them are energy vampires. These are people do, that do what they do best, and that's make other people as miserable as they are. So by comparison, they don't have to feel so bad. And it's going to be, you know, a real challenge. Um, you know, if 
you know, we see it all the time. I think it's even harder on women in general than men. But, you know, the reality is everybody's going to struggle both with their internal physiology and their addictive responses, and also perhaps even more importantly, the social consequences. Anytime you type, step out the social norm, you're going to upset a lot of people around you, and it's going to create a lot of challenges and a lot of problems. And unfortunately, there's nothing we can say that makes it easy. You can make it easier by fully understanding, you know, what you're dealing with, but there's nothing that makes uh, living healthy in an unhealthy world easy. I've also heard you talk a lot about the physiological similarities between fasting and exercise, and I'm curious if you could kind of summarize some of those. Yeah, it's been fascinating. I was reading the exercise literature, and it turns out there's a lot of things that happen in exercise that are very powerful. You know, people that exercise regularly tend to have lower weight, they have uh, lower glucose, they have lower IGF-1s, um, they have... Uh, you know, increased BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is the chemical that protects your brain from uh, oxidative damage, so Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and these kind of things. And it turns out those same biomarker changes occur with fasting. And, you know, at first it's not obvious because you think, well, wait a second, in fasting, in order to conserve protein and, and maximize benefit, you have to rest. In exercise, you're out vigorously expending your energy. Why would fasting and resting have the same biological effects as exercise. But when you really think about it, what, what fasting and exercise both have in common is they both undo the consequences of dietary excess. They undo the consequences of dietary excess. And that's perhaps why these biomarker changes that occur with fasting and also occur with exercise. And it's fascinating now, there's so much research coming out about all the changes, the things that increase and decrease with fasting and with exercise. Uh, that may explain the tremendous benefits that we see. For example, in rats, if you systematically fast those rats, you can double their lifespan. Wow. They live twice as long, everything else being equal. Um, uh, or you can do calorie restriction and dramatically increase how long and how well uh, people live. Rats, for example, in a cage, um, if you cage rats, everything is identical, their feed, their genetics but you give one rat a wheel so it can exercise at will, and those rats don't get Alzheimer's disease. And we know that those rats, the difference in those rats is they have high BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Um, brain-derived neurotrophic factor stimulates nerve growth and protects nerves from oxidative damage, as I said. Both of those changes occur with fasting. Autophagy, you know, the basic process by where the body eats up cancer cells and gets rid of cellular debris. Um, in fact, that topic of autophagy was so important that in 2016, they awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine to a guy named Yoshinori Oshumi, who did this work on autophagy. Well, one of the things they've learned now with fasting is fasting dramatically increases autophagy. And that may be in part responsible for why rats live so much longer if you introduce fasting and uh, caloric restriction into their, into their programs. Um, you know, Energy and fatigue are a, a common issue, particularly, you know, post-COVID, COVID long and, and these kinds of syndromes. And we know that um, there's something called mTOR, which is mammalian target of rampamycin. And uh, mTOR uh, increases with um, exercise. It also increases uh, with fasting, which is associated with increasing autophagy. So in other words, exercise will reduce your mTOR, which increases autophagy. Fasting will reduce your mTOR levels, which increases autophagy. So again, another common, ex uh, another example where both exercise and fasting have a similar effect on the biomarkers and ultimate results in increasing uh, the protective mechanisms. Um, fasting uh, reduces 
inflammatory markers like IL-6 and TNL alpha and all these other markers they've identified. And it turns out inflammation may be responsible for most of the common diseases that we're seeing from heart disease to cancer on down. So anything you do that reduces inflammation tends to be benefit. Even some of these pharmaceutical interventions like taking aspirin and its effect on cardiovascular disease is because of a redu reduced inflammation. Better than taking aspirin with its side effects would be to get rid of the inflammation to begin with. And that's where diet and fasting, you know, may be so beneficial. So basically what's going on is people are getting fatter and sicker by the moment as a consequence of the pleasure trap and their dietary choices. And what we've done is we've discovered this very ancient practice of fasting can be helpful at breaking the cycle of inflammation and addiction. And then you get people on an exclusively whole plant food SOS free diet. And they not only get well, but they stay well. And we've been able to prove that in our case reports with long-term follow-up. So people overcome their cancer, but then years later, they're actually still cancer-free in large part because of their choice of using an exclusively whole plant food SOS-free diet. Yes. And so less may be more, and yet the nutrition deficiency paradigm persists. Well, people believe naturally that the problem is deficiency. That's because we evolve in an environment of scarcity. The biological imperative of life is get enough to eat and don't get eaten. You know, this is what's driving human biology. And so now you put ourselves in a very unnatural environment of excess, of dietary excess. And it's not naturalist for us to be thinking, oh, what are we getting too much of? We're always worried about get enough to eat, don't get eaten. And it's, you know, a, a struggle because in an environment of scarcity, only the people that manage to get enough to eat survive and reproduce. And so everything's set up for us to worry about deficiency. Nothing's set up for us to worry about excess because there never was dietary excess consistently in a natural setting. So it's only, you know, post-industrial revolution in agriculture that we've been able to create an environment of abundance and excess. And so the bottom line is we're not well equipped biologically to deal with excess. And we've put ourselves in an environment that creates the paradigm we call the pleasure trap. If people really want to understand that, they can read our book, The Pleasure Trap. It's a very disturbing book because it doesn't tell people what they want to hear. It tells them what they need to know to get and stay healthy. Uh, yeah, but it's also very comforting to understand that you're not broken and this is why. And that's what I love about the pleasure trap so much. I have a million questions for you, but we have to wrap up. So I want to end with one more personal kind of question. I'm just curious about how you, Alan, choose yourself every day. How, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that question. How you choose yourself, because we talk about like taking care of you and yourself and you're influencing so many people around you and you're having this global impact on the way we look at food and well, uh, wellness and health. How do you take care of you? Oh, well, you know, I have a really unique situation because I, I have like the best job in the world. You know, Dr. Benish told me this kind of work was the most rewarding because the patients did all the work, the body did all the healing and all the doctor <laughs> had to do was take credit for the good results. And not only are we getting to take credit for the good results, we're able to document it in a way that proves, as my wife says, that we're right and everybody else is wrong. So, you know, she says that's what drives me every day is trying to prove that these concepts that we have, that health results from healthful living uh, and that diet, sleep and exercise are the key to healthful living are actually correct, even though pretty much everybody out there is opposing it or arguing with it. And so the, the degree that we can document this effectively and communicate this effectively uh, helps reinforce that ultimate goal. And it, it's a huge uh, challenge. It's very rewarding. And I also get to live at the True North Health Center, which makes healthy eating and living, you know, just super easy. You have so many extraordinary, important things going on. Can you please share with my listeners where they can find more information? 
Well, sure. They can go to our website at truenorthhealth.com, and we offer a free service. If they complete the registration forms, we offer a no-cost phone conversation with me to help review whether or not any of this information might be relevant or to help refer them to uh, a doctor uh, that perhaps might be closer to them than True North Health Center in California. We also have a telemedicine practice where if they'd like to have an opportunity to interact with a doctor that's not a complete idiot, they can log in and access uh, uh, one of our 15 doctors uh, uh, online or through uh, Zoom. Uh, and we also have uh, a new website up, fasting.org, which is the fasting compendium website of the True North Health Foundation. And so all of the information on fasting can be found there. They can search it. Uh, it's all freely available. So if uh, you know any of those services were available, we would be happy to speak to your listeners. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom and for all of your very important groundbreaking work. It's my pleasure. Health results from healthful eating. Dr. Goldhammer's book, The Pleasure Trap, is absolutely mind-blowingly important. I go back to it all the time. This should be a mainstay in your library. To say it's a healthy read would be an understatement. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. And you can download your free cheat sheet for my five top tips to choose yourself in your diet at chooseyounowdiet.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.